Blog Talk Radio. Well, I almost caught myself figuring out that I was late for my own show. That would kind of suck, wouldn't it, considering Chris would be like, what the hell's going on and why is there no host here? So hi, everybody. I'm trying to wake up, and I think I am awake because in the wonderful state of Wisconsin, of course, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. So I've always said my signature tagline is, you know that I'm interviewing someone super important when my ass is getting out of bed this early. So yeah, Chris, you should be very happy, and I am very happy and very excited and very nervous. And only do I have a great person on my show, I have another phenomenal person listening in. So how lucky am I to have two Chris's in my ear in one day? So that's awesome. A couple quick announcements, super fast, because I don't want to have Chris holding for too long. Three main important things. I just announced it on my uh, social media page. Obviously, of course, as you may know, my film festival is now going to be open for pay-per-view. What that means basically is we're going to have streaming capability to where those of you that are in New York City can still get the experience of I don't know why you want to do this, but watching me do Q&A at meeting with actors and directors and things like that, obviously I can't show the films and stream them clearly. But what I can do is give you access to distribution company information and the panels there, uh, the panels as it relates to the actors, um, the panels as it relates to the camera equipment, and just giving you a general sense of the special event. I, I think it's important that people are able to get involved because I have fans and followers from everywhere, all over the place, so it's important. So um, if you're interested, go to my social media page, send me a note, say, hey, I want to be a part of this pay-per-view thing. I'll send you the information. I'll put it up on the Art is Alive Film Festival uh, social media page as well as the website eventually when I get around to it. And I don't want to forget, I've already had 60 submissions. In a perfect world, you'll send me 60 more submissions. Yes, that's right. That would be screenplays, short films, feature films, youth films, web series. I pretty much will take just about anything. Um, So go ahead, feel free to send them in, artisalivefilmfestival.yolasate.com. Otherwise, visit the Film Freeway link, which is Artisalive Film Festival. The other thing I want to remind you about is, yes, I'm doing a film, hopefully before I'm dead. And yes, I keep saying I hate it, because I really do. But I have some of the most phenomenal people in this film, I can't even tell you. So I'm still searching for, in New York City, probably two or three, in Wisconsin, four, and then in L.A., probably two or three more. Males, females, 35 to 55 years of age. Do you need to be union? No. Am I a SAG production? Don't get me started, but yes, I am. So anybody can submit. Send your information to me either on the social media page, which is Loves to a Mirror. You can go ahead and email it to me, which is cin4251 at gmail.com. Um, or just, you know, call me on the phone or text me and say, Cindy, I really want to be part of this project because I – don't think I've cast enough people, to be honest. I'm starting to feel really good about it, and shooting is going to start in the next couple of months, so I need to get it together. So, yeah, if you're interested, or even if you just want to help, I mean, I could take all the help I can get, literally. So reach out to me. The last thing I want to remind everybody about before we start the interview is I am on the air tomorrow. Yay, I'm doing a Saturday show. It's in the morning. I'm so excited. I can't stand it. It's another New York City actor. Imagine that. Jimmy P., the only male that's ever done a co-hosting gig with me, is going to be on the show, and we're going to do a legitimate interview. And for him, I believe that's 10 o'clock a.m. again, Central Standard Time tomorrow. I'll put the posting up later today on my social media page. Otherwise, check the Sims Chat Corner page. And the telephone number was to work because Chris is actually on hold right now. So instead of listening to me talk, let's listen to him talk. Hello. Arkham. Hi. Hello, Cindy. <laughs> Sorry about all that. No, I had to do all my great. business, like stuff. I, I, like, did you listen to all that? <laughs> I did. It Does was it like sound okay? warming me up. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was great. Really? If that's you in I the mean, morning, it's, it's, I, I can't imagine you late in the afternoon. Oh my God. Let me just tell you. There's. I've had like a cup and a half of coffee. One of my yeah. favorite people in the entire world was just talking to me, which is our mutual friend Chris. I don't think Chris realizes he's he's like the. Oh my gosh. He's like one of my favorite he's people. Glue. So when he pops up on my window, I'm like, he's so awesome, isn't he? Let's talk about him. <laughs> yeah. 
Sure. Because it's your interview, so we should talk about him, right? But no, but, we yeah, should absolutely. talk about him. Because yeah, we, we should talk about him. He's, a, he's, the, he's the conduit um, between the two of us. Yep. Oh, listen he, to that word, folks. He just said conduit. I like him already. I the don't fact know. that you <laughs> use big words is like so awesome. That's so cool. Um, okay, so let's start off and let's ask the big question, which is, you're okay. Chris, and he's Chris. And funny how I know the both of you, and yet I'm really waiting for you guys to do like a serious collaboration together where you're like, you have a project, and you're sitting down with Chris, and then you're like, oh, my God, let's totally do this. I could well, totally I see that in my head. Well, I heard you're doing a movie. You're doing a movie, and you need actors. Yes, and I've a- I asked him already. I did, and I said I'll get him the, the side so he can take a look at it. So I'm all over that radar already. I'm like, I'm totally you know. putting him in my movie because I can. Just because <laughs> I can. And he's that awesome. And Paul, we can he's really make a tall. special scene for the two of us, and then that way your dream will come true, and you made it happen. Really? I'm sure. not good enough for you. I'm totally uh, yeah, not good enough for you. No, <laughs> That's not true. I'm serious. No, no. Really? No, I'm serious. Aww. Yeah. I'm totally blushing right now, folks. He's killing me. But no, seriously, <laughs> he's he yeah. is a phenomenal individual, and I think that. Um, it's a cute little story, folks, just so you guys know. Christopher LaPonte is the reason why we're on the air today, as a matter of fact, because he posted something on social media about this Chris, Chris Harkham. And, and I looked, and then I checked out his repertoire of work, and, and I was just very, very, very impressed. And I reached out to him, and I'm like, you absolutely have to come on my show. So obviously, of course, our mutual Christopher is a link between us. And I, and I think we, I can speak for the both of us in saying that we're both very humbled and very grateful to know him, without a doubt. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, of of Chris Lapanta. Yeah, we're gonna I'm get not, to I'm you not in very... thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're all like, yeah, we're talking about him right now. Let's let's talk about him. But no, okay. he is the common link. So we both say thank you, Christopher, obviously, because I know he's listening because he said he could actually listen. So how cool is that, right? Like that, almost. That's like really cool. Like, oh my god, I'm so excited and I'm so nervous. <laughs> so welcome to the show. I have a lot of ground to cover. So normally okay. what happens is I talk about everything. So we're gonna talk about the what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly, meaning the positive Ooh. points, the personal points, all that good jazz and stuff. So, yeah, I'm going to have uh-huh. questions out of nowhere. Okay, so Great. get ready for it. Here we go. Okay, okay. first question, right 35. off the bat. I creep, I creep on the people that come on my show. So I'm on your Instagram, okay. and, and here's oh, what geez. I see. Nasty, nasty women only. Yeah. There's this big picture. Well, you must have been out and about in New York City somewhere, and you took a picture of this, and you posted it on your Instagram. Where is that from? I don't know what uh, nasty women only. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's on your Instagram, <laughs> and you made some comment about it, and it was the cutest little thing because I'm like, I totally dig this, and only in New York City would you see this. Please tell me that I'm not imagining this, right? Because I'm looking at uh, your Instagram. <laughs> what, what year did oh, I post no. that? <laughs> it was probably years ago, but it, it okay. just it took me by surprise because I'm like, only in New York City would you see that? Because I talk about this a lot, like. When you go to New York City, there's stuff that you see and you experience, and you, I'm sure you would agree with this. The stuff that goes on there, the people, the experiences, it's not like anywhere else, clearly. Right. I mean, am yeah. I right? Right. So I, I it didn't so, shock yeah. me at all to see this. But I look at this, and I'm like, oh, my God, this doesn't seem very Chris-like. So I was like, I just have to ask him about this. But now you don't even remember okay. it. So I don't. I don't I'm think sorry. I was drunk when I saw it. Was no, that, it's all right. Yeah. It's not a big point. Uh, um, wait, what were they doing? It was one of those doing? things. All right, let me, now you're going to make me look. Because seriously, I'm like, I know I saw this. Because I'm looking down your Instagram, and I'm like, I'm going to find something. I know I'm going to find oh, something gosh. that's very cool to talk about. And I purposely See, very... do that. I'm like, <laughs> sorry. I can't help myself. That's okay. Um, 
you always want to find things that are different and out of the ordinary because nobody wants to tune into a talk show and listen to somebody babble and then they're all like, oh, my God, she's so boring and there's nothing to talk about and this is so stupid. So, you know, I have to try to make myself interesting because everyone that comes on the show is so badass that I'm like, I can't even compare. I just I can't do it. So I'm like, yeah. All right. Chris, put this on his yeah. Instagram on the Lower East Side. Hashtag nasty woman has company on Clinton Street. No pun intended. Nasty woman. Okay. And this was... October of 2016. 2016. Yes, sir. Um, so this this was was this a was this a pun uh, as a, as we were getting close to the election? Was this something like that about I nasty wonder. women? See, I I wonder about that because it it literally is a sign. You must have been passing something on the Lower East Side, and it's in green, and it says nasty women only, and it's got an arrow pointing down. And then that's where you've got hashtag nasty women or woman has company on Clinton Street. It just stood out to me. I was like, that's really wild. Because it's New York City, oh, I guess I shouldn't be shocked. But I'm like, oh. okay. Oh, 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 oh. It's coming okay. to yeah. him now. I think that, that's, yeah, that's just a um, nasty. I think, I, think, I think it was like right after like the nasty woman thing got started. I, I you, okay. Uh, so, so I think that, and uh, that was just a coffee shop, say, giving, letting uh, people say that they're. I mean, it's the Lower East Side, so you know, you're welcome to be here. I gotcha. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you for explaining yeah. that, because I was like, <laughs> sure. Oh my God, I just totally had to ask him about that, and now it's become a whole "What the hell is she talking about?" moment. Okay, folks, it gets better. Well, okay. you never know. Like, I want to ask... Like, oh sure. No, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, I just you know, like like what you were saying before, you never know if like what you're going to be seeing is sort of a uh, what I call a New Orleans moment as you're just sort of walking down uh, in the, in that area where just you know something sort of just kind of erupts. You know, it just, just sort of depends. I take a lot of pictures of of weird signage and things like that that you don't see normally. I like I like um, you know I like seeing sort of local. <laughs> sort of art by people that are not necessarily artisans or they may be, I don't know, but they're doing it for like their, their, you know, small, small job or whatever they're doing. I gotcha. I, well, thanks for explaining that. I thought I was going nuts sure. for a minute. Like, I'm no. like, was I drinking when I looked at this Instagram? <laughs> Actually, no, I wasn't, folks. I was completely sober and right, by the way. Thanks so much. But no, I thought I would ask about that. Now, I know in your history, you used to at one point in time, you interned for Shakespeare Festival. And I found that intriguing because I've been a writer for 20 years. That's the, uh, I don't get it. Okay. Do you get Shakespeare? Because I don't get it. I can't get um, it. I can't get him. I don't get it. Well, it was, it was funny. It was that I did that. So, so well, I kind of, I got into acting because I, when I was, I was doing, I was, I, I started actually, I, I guess ever Ever since I was a little kid, um, you know, my aunt would make like Superman capes for me until I, you know, pretend I was Superman and that sort of thing. So whenever there was something in school, it was like, oh, we need to get somebody in a costume in front of everybody. I would always wind up being that person doing that. Um, and when I was 12, I got cast in a production of A Christmas Carol where I was the, the boy when Scrooge has the change of heart the next morning and he's like, what day is it? Sure. And the kid says, why it's Christmas day. And he sends him off to get the Turkey. He's called the Turkey boy. Um, 
And the guy that was playing the Scrooge, he's, I would come back in with the turkey, and he's like, well, here, take a cab, and he'd give me a little change. Well, the actor who would do that kept giving me more and more and more change, and I was 12, and I kept giving it back to him. And I don't know, we never talked about it, he never said anything, but I think <laughs> he just wanted to see at what point I was just going to pocket the change and walk off with it, and I never did. Um, so a couple of years later, I wound up uh, in the offices uh, with my high school acting teacher because I needed a costume for a play I was doing at school. And he said, oh, I remember you. Would you like to intern? You'll be like sweeping floors and doing other things, but you'll get to be around everybody in rehearsal and see what that's like. So sure. when I was 15, 16 years old, I was I was interning at this you know professional regional theater that happened to be in my hometown, High Point, North Carolina, which was pretty incredible. So I got to see these actors who were professional actors, and this is what they did, and and how they kind of carried themselves, and how they worked, and you know watching them take things, not just seriously, but also, but at the same time, they, there was a, a sort of a sense of humor that was sort of different about what they, they enjoyed what they were doing. And I, and that was such a eye-opening thing to me that work could be something that you did both rather rigorously, but at the same time in a way that you can enjoy. Um, sure. So it's always kind of finding, finding that, uh, balance i think in whatever you're doing but but for me that was that was uh really in that i was like okay i feel like i'm one of these people i felt you know that right away um even though i was you know half their age or whatever for most of them um but it was it was a really great it was a really great thing so i did that yeah a couple couple of my summers in high school very, very cool. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to try to do more Shakespeare in terms of just more interpretation or attending more. I've, I've gone to a few performances, but I just get flustered. I'm like, I just don't get it. Right? I always end up feeling like an unintelligent author because I'm like, Shakespeare's great. Am I not supposed to get him? Do you know what I mean? Do you ever get that feeling like they're so magnanimous that you're supposed to get the meaning? And then when you don't, you're kind of like, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I think of it, Maybe yeah, I can't, it, it's a lot of... First of all, it's 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 a lot for your ears. Um, right. It's a lot of words. It's a lot more. It's a lot of words that. Um, it's not that we don't use them. In fact, you know, we use most of them. There's a handful that we don't. But you know, if their actors are good, you'll you'll be able to make out with a sense of what's being said with that. Um, but I think that there's it's it's like when you when you listen to an album the first time or a song or you know like think about Prince you know did you get everything that he said mm-hmm. in every song the first yeah. time you heard it sometimes it's <laughs> no. the twelfth time sometimes it's ten years later you hear oh gosh that's what that means you know it's that sort of thing so I think it's a matter of of how frequently you know if you if you don't and if you don't hear it very often it can be very sort of whoa um, so yeah you do have to be kind of mentally alert but it kind of so it kind of requires you to 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 really um um i think i think you can't just kind of come in and casually sit at watch it like you're sitting on the couch and you're you know you got your finger on the on the button and you're just channel surfing and okay i'll listen a little bit i don't care i'll go on to the next thing like you really have to commit yourself as an audience member so that i i totally understand what you're saying i mean but after a certain point you get to know the stories you get to know Okay, this is what's happening in Hamlet, and this is what's happening in King Lear, or whatever have you. And so you you kind sure. of already know the plot, so you're paying more attention to this is how this person is playing this moment, and this is where 
you know, so-and-so betrays the other person and, and that sort of thing. So you get to have that. But yeah, sure. I think, I think there's also, like, I just saw King Lear out at BAM and it was the Royal Shakespeare Company. I went twice because I went the first time and I, and I kind of had what you, it was, a, it was a Friday night, started at 7.30, it ended after 10.30. It was a lot to take in. It's a lot of play. And, um, you know, if you're there and, and uh, there's distractions or you're like, I, like me, I was at the end of, the, of a rough week and I was a little tired, so it was a little hard to get it all in. But uh, I, you know, so I went back and, and watched it a second time um, and, and uh, you know, you just pull more things out of it. But it's, a, it's that kind of thing. It's the kind of it's the kind of theater which I think like Chekhov is, which is hearing it once isn't enough. I mean, some movies you can watch one time and that's it. Some movies... Um, you know, this is a not silly one, but this is this is for me a movie like Heat, with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and all those guys. I can watch that again and again, and every single time it's a long movie, and there's a lot of um, it's the opposite where there's not a lot of dialogue and a lot of it. Um, mm. But you watch it again, and you're like, oh my god, that moment! I didn't see that the other time. I didn't I didn't see that. You know, I didn't know that he was he was aware that this was going to happen, or you know, that sort of thing. So it it, it can be a, a kind of a different thing. All that's the sure. don't give up on. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put there, I have to say. You know, I, I thought this might be a perfect actor question for you because I was talking to a fellow New York City actor, and I won't name him because he's very weird about it. We talk a lot about he's always been teetering and tottering, and so you've got uh, numerous amounts of experience. In fact, just to have an exact number, folks, it's acted in 200-plus projects, over 200. That's a lot, okay, a lot. So let me ask you this question because you would be an, an expert in this area. He's always teetering and tottering about, I want to be a New York City actor. I want to fulfill my dream. On the other side of the fence, I want to feed my family and pay my bills. And it's always the, mm-hmm. obviously, that's the teeter-totter for writers. It's for all of us creatives. So I ask you, at what point in your life did you say to yourself, okay, I am now sufficient enough to be able to do what I love and not have to worry about the financial end of it, or at least we all worry, but to a lesser degree, meaning that this is first and primary and then everything else is secondary. I don't need to have a quote-unquote regular job. What would you advise someone, especially in the New York City market, because I know it's very competitive. I know there's tons of creative, classy people out there. You know what I mean? They're all launching and wanting to do the same thing. Yeah. I think I think there's like three questions in that question. And, oh, boy, and I yeah. think it's... I, guess there is. <laughs> I, think, I think the thing of it is it's like uh, you know, I, I saw some blog post somewhere where they said instead of thinking of things as a work-life balance, think of it as a work-life blend. Um, you know, we're we're in a different age now where, you know, you've got to you got to hustle. It it costs a heck of a lot to be anywhere, really. And I mean, New York real estate is is really tough, so that that does put a different mm-hmm. kind of pressure on things. Um, so you know, yeah, if you're not financially um, stable without having a job or whatever, there's, there's things that you have to do. I mean, I've, I've done a whole bunch of different jobs, um, that have nothing to do with the arts at the same time, um, that I continue to do what I do. And I think it's, I think there's a notion that you are what you do that we have kind of drilled in, we've had drilled into us over a long period of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, because I think, um, you know, there's a whole thread of people whose last names were based on the fact that they, their family were 
shipwrights or cartwrights or <laughs> blacksmiths or whatever they might have been sure. back then. So there's that idea of you are what you do. And the thing of it is, it's like, I think I think it's a, it's a be, it's being able to have the generosity with yourself to say I am this and I I am something else and I can do these other things and maybe you know I do this for five years and I do something else or I come back to it again after doing these other things. Um, a lot of what I find I'm doing I, I call it crop rotation um, because if I try mm-hmm. to do the same three things every single day uh, I would just go insane. So there are periods of my life where I'm more of a writer and periods of my life I'm more of an actor and periods of my life where I'm neither of those things. Um, periods of my life where I am having to do work outside of the arts. There's periods, that, you know, which is um, kind of what's helped keep me stable. And and I think that there's I, I think that there's I think that there's a shame that we put on ourselves as artists if we aren't making uh all of our living off of the arts. And I really wish, mm-hmm. I really hope by the, by the time I'm ready to leave this earth that that mentality has changed because I think that right. that's not really possible, especially in a country that, that doesn't have the support for the arts that other countries do. And so it's, it's a little different to be in a country where, where there, there is that sort of support. But at the same time, then the art is also kind of different because you don't have to hustle as much. You don't have to think about it. You get to just be an artist. And that, that puts sure. in a different sort of um, – I think it puts in a different sort of time frame on things. When I know I can if – I'm, if I'm working a, a job and then I've got, a, I've got two hours to get out and do something and get a shot or do something and get an audition in or meet for coffee with somebody to talk about producing something, you know, it just puts a different sort of focus on things. There's, there's a much sharper clarity to the to the pressure of I've got to do this by 2 p.m. and be someplace else rather than I can just get up whenever and do these three things whenever I decide to do sure. it. That's that's just totally different. And I'm and I'm not saying one's more right than the other. And you know, and I think that things go up and down and good things happen and bad things happen and you never know you can you can have a health thing and then suddenly you're not able to do this or that and it, you know it just mm-hmm. it just all really makes a huge difference and i i've been at this long enough to see that you know people just cuz they've had success doesn't mean they get to keep success you know it just it oh, comes and goes and so the big thing mm-hmm. is just you know what what you what you need to do to get yourself to the, to knuckle down and do the next thing Hmm. Good advice. Well put. I'll actually just play this interview for him again and get to this point and be like, now listen to Chris, and this is what you should do. I, I see this syndrome a lot. You know, when I come to New York City and then now I meet with, I, I'm so lucky that I used to never know all these actors. Now I know tons of actors all over the place, and they fascinate me, probably because, for one, I've tried to act once, and they got me drunk, and I was terrible at it. Um, I did this scene, and I kept doing it over and over, and they kept feeding me tequila, and I'm like, that's not fair. But the reality is I just can't act. You know, there's some people that just can or cannot act or whatever have you, and I get it. But I have this this newfound adoration for actors because you're capable of playing yourself and 50 other people. And so I, I ask this question very often, meaning, for instance, because you do so many various things and you don't just act in films versus you don't just write or whatever, you're, you're numerous different things. My question to you is, when you started off long ago as a little person, you know, six, seven, eight years old, did you look in the mirror and did you automatically see that face and know that this was a person that was meant to be on stage? Or did it not come to you right away? I think 
You know, there was there was, I, I I remember distinctly the moment that that it was different for me was um I there was a school assembly and and uh I was 6 and my, my mom actually made me an Uncle Sam outfit and I had this like uh blue jacket with the long tails and then the red and white striped pants and a and I believe a top hat and um yeah, and a little little like red, white, and blue like American flag bow tie and and all that. And I had to get up and do. Um, I had to recite America the Beauty. I remember saying Amber Waves is Green and Purple Mountains Majesty. And uh, you know, so I'm in my grade school cafetorium where they take the cafeteria and they put the chairs for for the assembly and they pull out. Uh, they had like a sort of makeshift stage that kind of collapsed back into the wall, but but it came out. And I just remember the moment of walking out in the outfit and the moment of everyone being silent and listening. And, and I, there was just something about that, that I knew I was walking into, I walked into something that I I, I was Hmm. supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, that would kind of come and go at different parts of my life. Um, but that was really that moment where, and, and, um, it's funny because because I, I think that there's that there's that feeling um, you know some people can be on stage and some people can't some people you know uh, I know a lot of actors who can't do public speaking but they're really great mm-hmm. at acting or you know I know stand up sure. comedians who can really do stand up comedi- comedy but they can't act and 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 that sort of thing so, you know I think that there's there are slightly different uh, sides of yourself that you're letting out there and I think that <laughs> you know I think I think for I think for most people reviewing Feeling all of yourself is really difficult. So there are different there are different ways you can do it. Like this is safer for me to do it this way, or I'm more brave in this way to re- to to release who I am out into the world this way, or I need to do it in a way that's funneled through this other identity. Um, so I think that mm-hmm. that is is one of the things that make it different. So you know, as far as you acting, I bet I bet you know that scene might not have been for you. It was the first scene, but I bet. You could, you could do something else, but I. But for me, well, there was that moment of. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm I'm thinking a term. I had like, okay, I am in my own film. There is, uh, there is a spot because you know everybody that listens to the show, they're all like, oh my god, we'd love to see you on TV. Have you looked at me? I always say that to people. I'm like, do you know what I look like? I mean, if you really look at me, would you really want to look at that face on TV? I'm like, no. But, okay, so I'm like, all right, if I don't do the TV thing, maybe I could be in my own film. And I'm like, all right, I'm trying to figure out where do I put me in my film where I don't really have to act? Does that sound ridiculous? Because it's true. Like, I'm like, well, if I'm in the wedding scene, I've already been married and divorced once, so I know what that's like, right? So I'm like trying to pigeonhole <laughs> myself into something that's safe. Like, no matter what, she can't screw this up. Because I'm like, how ridiculous would it be if the person who wrote it and cast part of it and directed part of it did a scene and she was ridiculous? I'm afraid of looking like a fool. You know what I mean? We- yeah, Martin Scorsese, you know, he he acts occasionally, but he has certain rules. There were three of them. I can remember two of them. One was he always has to wear a nice suit so he know he looks good. He always has to be seated in every scene because he, he said, I right. cannot walk into frame to save his life. You know, Martin Scorsese really? cannot walk into frame. Yeah, that's what he said. Oh, my God, that's so, wild. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I think that, yeah, there are different – I mean, we all have – we all have certain skills and and certain um, I think uh, different different things that are holding us back and it's just it's just sort of different. I mean, um, I am someone. For example, 
I think I think some some actors are much better at just 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 being present and you know they're grounded and they just seem very realistic and they're just very good and you can give them like three lines of dialogue and they're great but if you give them Shakespeare they're going to fall apart and vice versa you know I think that that some some people I mean I'm I'm somebody that's used to dealing with a whole lot of language and so for me I'm comfortable because I'm talking about it because my mind is really thinking about making all of these different things clear or changing things or doing different things with with all of his verbiage so that to me is a godsend you know give me give me two pages of, of monologue and i'm happy make me you know or or make me an active listener in a scene and i'm happy um you know but if i'm if i'm sort of in this r- middle place where i just kind of have to be the dude hanging out um i'm not so good at that um you know i'm also somebody that's i'm an intro i'm an extroverted introvert i'm not you know i can be extroverted when the time is required of me to do that. Um, but in general, I'm not, I'm not like Mr. You know, Hey, great, great, great hanging out guy. You know, I just, I'm not that guy. Um, you know, so, so there's, I mean, so I think that there are different, there are different things. So that does make sense to me what you're saying. And it does make sense that, you know, you, you feel this certain kind of character. I mean, there are certain character types that we're much better at playing than others, and oh, sure. and I, th- you know, I think that that's that's uh, that's part of it too. You, you know, you feel like you you found a a key to that character, or you just kind of naturally gravitate to that character. You're, you know, so you feel like you have have something to to do with that. But I also think that there's a thing of you know, I, I think the other thing that that um, uh, Everybody says, you know, write what you know, but if that were the case, then how would we have The Hobbit or any any other right. sort of fantastical thing? How would we have The Matrix? Exactly. Uh, so, so you know, I think that there's there's a there's a place where if you if you're only letting yourself be comfortable, then you're not going to let yourself really surprise yourself, and then therefore you're not really going to let the audience be surprised either. That's very ironic you say that because when I cast this film, when I started with my film, I told them flat out, I said, the the ground rules are when you come into this film, you must play the exact opposite of yourself. I didn't allow any one of them to be anything like themselves on purpose. I'm like, you know why? Because when another director, because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm never doing this again. This whole film thing, oh my God, that's all I'm going to say. I can't do it. I, I just, I can't. It's too much. I'm like, this is like a little nuts. But this is a healing project for me. But I'm like, make no mistake that if you're coming on my set, I guarantee you that the next director who looks at you is going to see this performance and know that you're capable of the... It's stretching them. You know, it's making them become uncomfortable. It's making them be out of the ordinary. Um, If our mutual friend Chris decides to be in this film, yeah, he's going to be nothing like what you're used to seeing because I'm like everybody. I, I see him in these roles, and there's a lot of them, and they're kind. You know, this. He's just so. He's and you're the same way. Like the first time I looked at you, you have that that look on your face. I'm like, you just look so serious, and all I saw was intensity until I really started looking at you, and then I started to get a little bit more. And I find that fascinating. Sometimes you can look at a person and see one thing, and then you look again and you see something different. So I do think it's important to stretch an actor's boundaries. Um, For me, I don't know. But ladies, if you're a director and listening, here's what I have learned. If you have a mad crush on someone and you cast them, it's the perfect way to show them how you feel. Because you just, you can do it on film and they'll never know. I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a bonus. You know, I'm like, great. So, yes, I might use my tool to 
yeah, whatever. Anyway, I don't think I'll be acting, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I appreciate that advice because I, I find it interesting, the whole process of acting, obviously. Um, I want to ask you because a lot of actors – you know, some of them don't have their certain way of doing things. Some of them are method actors. Some of them um, are character actors. Where would you classify yourself? What would you say is the best characterization of your style of acting? Gosh. Um, you know, I think I think I really, I, I <laughs> in a lot of ways, I, I was trained to be ready for anything. So mm-hmm. do realism, do Shakespeare, do absurdism, do you know, different kinds of avant-garde things, um, do things that have no plot whatsoever, do things that are lots of plot, you know, and, and I think, I think, you know, what I try to do as much as possible is be, I, you know, I think, I, I think of myself more as like a studio musician who, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have certain people who you have your Jimmy Pages of the world who play guitar. And, and I'm sure in private, he probably plays all different kinds of styles and does all different kinds of things. But we know him from Led Zeppelin. Um, we know Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Hendrix from, from what Jimmy Hendrix did. But also they probably, you know, he could probably play some crazy jazz or some, you know, really great acoustic blues, but you'd never know it. But, you know, trying to be one of those people who can kind of fit in with whatever's happening. I really, I really, what I really try to do is get a sense of this is what the project is. This is what the piece is saying. These are the kind of people I'm working with. What can, what, what can I add or, or diminish of myself that will, um, bring it to, to what's happening. Um, you know, so I, th- I think that there's there's a lot to to that, and just being ready to whatever preparation you do, throw it throw it away when you get there, and mm-hmm. day of whatever you're doing, or you know, if you're working on this project and you, you're expecting to do a play in the round with you know actors, you know, with audience all around you, but you wind up having to be be on a proscenium or you know that sort of thing. You just have to be able to to go with it, um, and not and not be you know, too set on what you're doing. But at the same time, you know, I really try to, I try to work as, as, as much as I can to, to do my preparation before I get into the space with people. So they're not, I'm not, I'm not dragging them through my process. I'm, you know, I've done all this and then I can kind of, kind of be there. So that's, that's the big thing for me is, is having that preparation. There's, there's an actor and I'm, I'm really having a good time. He has, he has several books. They're sort of, um, journals and sketchbooks. His name is Anthony Schur. He's a, he's a British actor. He's a British theater actor. Um, and he has these really great, you know, if you want, if you want to understand the process of acting a Shakespearean role, take a look at his books. He has one called year of the King. It was the year he prepared to work on Richard the third. And another is year of the fat knife, fat knight when he played Falstaff and another is year of the mad King about King Lear. And it's just all the work that he did before he even got into rehearsal on these parts and the research and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, so so there's all that, but I, I think that I've I've had a a wide ranging amount of training, so I've I try to you know call on on the stuff I need. I've done a lot of clown stuff. There was a moment in time where I almost ran off with the circus uh, when I was 19, um, and and uh, so so you know so there's that. I you know when I'm doing a dramatic part, I like to feed in a little bit of that. I think it's I think it's really helpful. Um, and vice versa, you know, when I'm doing a very sort of silly part, I like to have that moment mm-hmm. where everybody goes, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this person had 
feelings, <laughs> you know, like, so, so there's, you know, you want to kind of blend that sort of stuff in there. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think that there's, there's a, a different kind of stuff. And also, you know, I think it's, it's sort of what you were just, you were describing how you looked. And I think that we're not necessarily the best gauges of what we do. Um, or how we look when we're doing it. So, hmm. you know, I think it's really important to have somebody else tell you. So, so in that way, it's really, it's, it, there's, there's, I can say all that, which is a rather vague answer to your question, I think, but there's a certain <laughs> part of it where it's, you, you tell me, <laughs> you know, where, where, you know, I, I can't say for myself. Sure. Well, no, of course I get that. And it's interesting you mentioned that whole thing, that cosmetic thing, because I do notice when I speak with actors, just the other day I, I've been toying around with the idea of what my movie poster should look like. And I realize it's not the biggest important thing, but I'm like, it's a nice promotional tool as far as getting it out there. And I've been talking sure. and turning and what should I do and, and trying to figure it out. And, and all of my cast primarily is like, your face should be in this. And the only thing I'm thinking of is, oh, my God, I'm 48, and do you know what I look like now? And, and, and to a non-actor, it's all like, oh, my God. Then, I won't say who, but one of my cast members is all like, would you think maybe I could be on the movie poster? And he's totally like, I'd love to see my face on this movie poster. So I think that there's half of you actors that are like, oh, yeah, okay, it's great. I'm over myself. Then there's the other half that's like, I need more attention. Feed me, feed me. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, need my yeah. picture there. I need validation, that sort of stuff. So it's an interesting paradox having um, both types of personalities working, which I think is very cool. So the actors that are listening out there, the best, I think the best actor is the person that can see both sides of themselves, embrace both sides of themselves, and bring both sides to a performance, which, by the way, folks, Chris does, because we're going to get into that shortly. Um, <laughs> One of the things that I said when I was going to interview was that you were an artistic god. I was not kidding. Now we're going to talk about why. First of all, you've done something I've, I've never been able to do, so I'm, like, jealous and, like, literally sitting over here like I'm not worthy. You're, you've done writing that's been in the New York Times and the Brooklyn Rail. By the way, I would give my ITs to get anything in the New York Times, anything that I ever write, by the way, in the New York Times, and you've done that. Wow. 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 That tells me that um, I'm going to guess that you're a pretty darn good writer. So I want to talk a bit about writing because I don't get to do that ever. Um, and I've been a writer a long time. And I've gotten to the point where um, when I get frustrated, I've been throwing pens lately. Mm. <laughs> so I ask the authors, like, when you get stuck, like, what's your go-to thing? Because I'm like, I feel like if I throw enough pens and get that little frustration out, then it'll come to me. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, do you have yeah. any of those tricks of the trade where you're like, Okay, if I just do this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's. It depends on where you are with the, what you're doing. Um, okay. I find a lot of times. I mean, I, I, again, it's like my writing process is sort of like what I describe with my acting process, where there are some things that just kind of fall out of you, and it's like, wow, well, that was. Where did that come from? That's great. You know, that came from outside of me. That came from outside of me, went through me, and got onto the page or whatever have you. And then there are other things where it's like, it's work. It's tough. You chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away, and this isn't working, and this isn't working, and this isn't working. And I've got four or five projects that I would love to be done with, you know, but they're they're just not – I'm just not done with them. But then other things that have – you know, it's it's like, wow, that just that just whipped right through me in just a couple of weeks. 
but it's something I've been having roll around in my head for more than a decade. So, so there's that too. Um, but I guess in terms of, I mean, I, the, the, the clarifying effect of a deadline of, for me, you know, I can, I can float in the ether, but if I know, okay, people are paying tickets and they're going to be sitting in front of me watching something on this date at this time, well, then I need to get this together. And, you know, that, that kind of forces forces things out of you really quick. Um, you know, if you don't have deadlines, I think that that that's different. But if you're if you're just having a writing session and nothing's coming, um, you know, I think that there are books like Writing Down the Bones, which is a really great book as far as just finding yourself as a writer and creating a relationship with yourself as a writer that I think are important. Um, I think that there are things you can do where you just, okay, I'm just going to noun, I'm just going to write nouns down an entire page and see what that does. Or, you know, you can say, okay, I'm going to do a time, time writing exercise. So for 10 minutes, I'm going to write about this, or, you know, I'm going to write about my frustrations about this for 10 minutes and then get back to it, whatever it might be. Um, uh, I find that if I'm if I'm sitting better, if my posture is better, and I'm breathing and relaxed physically, sometimes the writing will just come out better. You bet. Some people say even walking away because I've done that before. Some people claim to be able to write when they're drinking. I'm like, I like my wine. Don't get me wrong. But I guarantee <laughs> you, if I've had more than two glasses of wine, I'm like, don't talk to me about writing anything. I'm like, seriously, it's gibberish. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just alters my ability. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that can be yeah. tough. And I also think, and maybe it's different for you, but I think all of us writers to a certain point are kind of running on the same vein in that. I don't think people realize that, that writing is something that even even when you have a passion for it, if, if your mojo's off, if your mindset and mentality is altered by whatever, whatever that could be, a sorrow, a tragedy, something happening, I believe that that truly is the key to why you end up getting blocked to a certain extent. It's It's actual work sometimes when your life is not as it should be and you're trying to create something beautiful on paper. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I guess yeah. I don't think I can get people to understand that sometimes. Like, it's not that easy all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I think I think there's also, you know, I was, I was going to do a, a, a festival one summer and I had one idea for the piece I was going to create. It was going to be a brand new piece. So this was a great thing. I had a deadline. <laughs> I had nothing telling me what I had to do. So it was like, okay, I'm going to have a space. It's going to be me performing by myself in front of an audience uh, in August. And I was going to do uh, a project uh, about uh, reconciling myself with previous relationships I'd had and that sort of thing. And then my, my grandmother died. And I was there the moment my grandmother died. I was in the room when she you know, let out her last breath. And it was just me and my mom with my grandmother at that moment. And it it changed me. And I then six weeks after that, I was on stage doing a, a, an hour and 10 minute one man show about that. That was part me on stage talking about things, talking about that experience of, of, of who my grandmother was and what she meant to me. Um, and I was triggered by the fact that right before <laughs> we were 
channel surfing right before that and I, I came across the uh the George Clooney Batman movie and, and uh I had this like oh my gosh, George Clooney, he's like this nineteen forties actor. You know, he's got this sort of that kind of quality. I know. And I'm thinking that and then I my know. mom calls me in the other room and then my grandmother dies. So I did this project that was like these two big icons in my life, this Batman and my grandmother and I did a bunch of characters right. out of that. And now this might have been, I mean, what I try to do is not make the audience suffer through my therapy, because I think that's what that can happen a lot of times in the work that you're doing. But at the same time, I don't know that that piece would have the same effect had I put it away for five years and then come back and then, and then, you know, that sort of thing. It had a different, had a different feeling because it was really raw to me, Um, but not in a way where it was, um, you know, difficult for the audience uh, because I think that that can happen quite a lot. You can, you can, there's a moment where it's not, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for you. And I think that that, that's where you should be paying the audience and not the other way around. So. That is so well put. In fact, my whole movie is about that. I'm like, and that's why I'm so petrified, but but we'll see. Um, I want to ask in terms of, of all the things that you've done, if I were to ask you your number one favorite character that you've ever written, who would it be? Huh, my number one favorite character mm-hmm. right. uh, <laughs> that I've written? Um, yes. Yeah. Created from I, your own I, brain. <laughs> well, in, when I was uh, – now that we're, we're talking about it, I guess because we're talking about that piece and I'm just mentally just dropping the needle at this point in my life, uh, I would say – uh, when I was working on that piece, I was also, I, you know, it's that kind of thing where you're working on something. And I think your antenna goes up in different ways when you're working on something and things that you hadn't heard before suddenly coming in. And if you're doing, you know, you're doing a piece about, I don't know, handkerchiefs, and you like, you never think about handkerchiefs, like men carrying around handkerchiefs. They don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you think about that and then suddenly you start seeing like, five different people and there's an ad in the in the magazine and something on TV you know it's like all of a sudden handkerchiefs are everywhere you look when you're when you're doing there's a weird um i i guess there's this weird thing that happens uh, you enter into this different space when you're when you're working on something like that um and and i was working on that space and for some reason in this on this project and i kept thinking about the american flag for whatever reason and I was thinking about because I was thinking about my grandmother who she, you know my grandfather served during World War II and so they were of that generation that World War II generation and you know thinking about Americana and all of it and I just like how you didn't see the American flag very often and um it's it's funny I'm sorry I'm getting a little sidetracked but it's funny because uh Tragically funny, uh, because a month after that, I did that project, and, and wow, where is there, there's no flags, there's no flags. 9-11 happened, and then suddenly, everywhere you looked, there were American flags. Everywhere. You know, we were, we were suddenly all pulled together by that event, and, and who you are as an, an American was, was, a, was a really huge deal. Um, so... That was going on, and I, but I, but uh, that was all leading me to. So I'm sitting in the cars, I'm thinking about this project, and I hear this interview, this NPR thing, where um, they had these 
Canadians living in America and what that was like, because they were like us, but they're not. And um, there was one guy being interviewed, and he said he worked in publishing, and he's in his 30s, and he said he sort of runs into each other, runs into himself, you know, 12 times an hour every day. But when he needs that little special something to feel different, he lets out the fact that he's Canadian. And what that what that is is just is being like us, but kind of not. And I I something about that really spoke to me at that moment. And so I created this character. His name was Alex. And so I did this monologue of this guy named Alex who goes to his therapy session, but his therapist isn't there. So he just lets all this stuff out to an empty chair. Um, about how frustrated he is about all these different things and, and how frustrated he is at people thinking he's too nice um, and, and that he's really not. But, you know, in the course of him saying how he's not, you see that he really is. Anyway, so sure. that character was something that everybody kind of really liked. And a few years later, I wound up writing a play just for that character called Rabbit Island. Um, yeah. And I did a stage reading, and I got to I played Alex in that stage reading, which was really nice. And then we eventually produced it with my theater company. And by that point, I was too old to play Alex. <laughs> uh, but there's did he just say too character. old? Yeah, yeah. Actors don't get too old for anything, don't you know? There's things like makeup. And all <laughs> I'm like, how do you ever age as an actor, right? Yeah, really? I feel the same way. Oh. You know, it's funny because because you know when I was you know for the longest time I was always in the situations where I was the, I was the youngest person. I was always the youngest person, and then and then mm-hmm. it's it's like it's like it's like this switch happens, and then suddenly you're frequently finding you're the oldest person in in the groups that you're in. So it's 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 a funny it's a funny thing. But yeah, I mean, I think on the inside, absolutely, I'm still. I still hold on to it. I still hold my my inner child is very much always kind of kicking around with me and uh, often influ- influencing what I'm saying and doing in my work. Um, so you know, and I think that you can have that into your 90s, into your hundreds, even you know, you can have sure. that um, youth is is you know not is 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 skin deep. But I you know, but I do think that there is a certain point where you you do start looking left and right and 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 it's like wow uh, you know people people have trailed off um so yeah so so um i i yeah yeah no i guess i guess it, it also that that it was it was funny cuz that was an early early ish project where i worked with my wife who was directing it and you know she had to say <laughs> you know you're not going to play this cuz you're you're too old now and i did kind of <laughs> You know, I didn't have to. If I, I, you know, if you take it in stride, but you know, I, I, I can't really say how well I took it at the moment. But you know, there, there was a, uh, there was a, a, wow, okay, I am not 28 anymore. Okay, so. Jeez, listen to this. Okay, folks. So number one, he's written things that have been in two of my favorite publications. Number two, now you're not going to know this, but this is ironic. So here I am, and I'm creeping around, and I'm learning about stuff. So obviously he brought up Rabbit Island, which is one of the three plays that I wrote out of all the stuff he's done that, that I was really impressed by. And that was one. You did a solo show called American Badass. Now, this is very ironic. Now, do you know why? Now, um... you've probably not been following me for a long time, but if you've known me a long time, this is uh-huh. what I will tell you. There are, there are only five actors besides every actor that comes on my show. So I'm going to preface it with that. So every actor that comes on this show, um, and Chris, who hasn't been on my show yet, by the way, um, 
who <laughs> I, I just have, I mean, like, they are on the top of the list, right? But we all have our top five of all time that we're like, I want to interview him, I admire him to no end, etc. Well, it just so happens that one of my top five of all time is doing a project right now, a film about himself entitled American Badass. Um, oh, well. So Michael, Ma- Michael Manson is is like my one of my top, like, I would give up, like, yeah. Um, he's the thing to me. I'm like, that's, you don't get any higher than Michael Madsen. I'm like very protective of him. And so uh, how ironic is it that you did this solo show called American Badass? So this is number two on my list of 800 things I love about Chris. Oh my God, you did a show called American Badass and a solo show. How cool is that? That's Uh, awesome. I was like so excited about that. I'm like, oh my gosh, because you're going to forgive me for saying this, but if you guys look at Chris's picture and then you look at Michael Madsen's picture and then you badass and I'm like, Sure, Chris is a badass. I mean, he may not have tattoos and motorcycle and the whole thing, but I'm like, he's totally badass. I'm like, that's awesome. So tell your listening audience a bit about American Badass, obviously, because I like solo shows. I think those are awesome. Oh gosh, we're going to, we're going in the way back machine for me. So I know. That was done, um, <laughs> over just over ten years ago. Um, sure. So that was that was 2008, and I it was another one of those things where. I was working on it and picking things up kind of in that same sort of way of the the one I had just described. And uh, we were turning the corner into the 2008 election at that point, and it was unclear who was going to be uh, the Democratic nominee at that point. I I had thought it was going to be um, John Edwards before all that stuff came out about him. Um, but, but, uh, you know, at that time we were, we, it was kind of coming out at that, that we had gone into war in Iraq by, because of, of information that wasn't, um, accurate and that sort of thing. And, and, and so I was really trying to, I think, I think, I think I kind of come back to this thread of, of who I am as an American and what I'm, you know, what does that say that, that kind of weaves in and out one of the themes, I guess, of, of what I do, you know, what is, what is, what is my identity as an American and what is the American, what is the national identity of an American? So I was really trying to figure that out with this, with this piece. And, you know, and I think that, you know, are, are we, are we that as a nation, are we this big tough thing in the world, you know, or, or are we, um, you know, are, are we the gentle giant? Or you know, and and what that is, and so so I created a bunch of characters that were kind of figuring that out, and and one one of them, the one of the ones that I think was most successful, um, was a Blackwater soldier who had had gone over and served a couple of times and come back, and I had done a bunch of reading uh, of accounts of of soldiers who had been over there, and so I was I was kind of pulling from that to to. Um, really kind of bring that home but at the same time there you know there are sort of battles everywhere there's uh domestic you know trying to tell your son like how 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 to be uh tough or not tough um you know being an older man and being in that place of like i don't have to worry about that anymore i can just enjoy who i am now um you know that sort of thing so it was it was it was uh largely about that and and trying to figure out uh, you know, I, I feel like, I feel, you know, I feel like masculinity goes through these cycles of of being good and bad and being questioned and being 
pushed away and being, you know, embraced. And, and I think that, you know, we just go through these cycles of that. And, you know, we go through a softer cycle and then we go through a tougher cycle. And then we, you know, sure. um, you know, being, being a, a male, you know, what, what is that? And, and I guess, I guess because I've never, you know, what you were saying is true. I don't, I don't have tattoos. I don't, I don't ride a motorcycle. I, sure. I, I do ride a, a city bike through New York city. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> which is, yeah. <laughs> which, which it's in its own way right? is I think more dangerous <laughs> than, than riding a yeah. motorcycle outside yeah. of the city. I agree. Um, so, <laughs> How uh, funny is so, that? oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I, I have been smacked by a car. I've been knocked off the bike, so so oh my I've God. taken my lumps and gotten back on. Um, of yeah, course. so of always, always, so always make sure the traffic is cleared, even if you have a green light before you go in the intersection. Uh, that so, is so cool, so, yeah. and, and that just stood out to me like big time. I was like, seriously, how ironic is that? And that sort of good stuff. So, you know, I have to text him later today. So I'm going to let him know that I interviewed a New York City actor today. And actually he does a production called American Badass. I bet he would absolutely <laughs> love that. Well, I've been working the courage up, you know, because it's hard because like it took me a year and a half and then I finally interviewed him. Him and his son came on my show. And I've done oh, wow. some things for his son by choice. The The story was I wanted to interview him forever, but I was petrified and I tried every angle, every director, every publicist. I'm like, you know what? I give up. And after about a year and a half, I'm like, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm never going to get him. I'm like, I'm just going to have to give it up. Well, then he, his son posted a picture. He Instagrammed a picture of his son's woodwork, and I ordered a box. And then I told the kid, I'm like, why don't you come on my show, my radio show? I've got great numbers, blah, blah, blah. Well, Michael Madsen called me the next day, and I was like, it's a very surreal moment when someone that you've watched for years and years is, and, and you admire so much calls you on the phone. So, yeah, so today I have to reach out and, uh, yeah, we got to have the talk about I got this little film and I'm petr- I won't lie, I am afraid. <laughs> like, I am like, oh, my God, I swear to God, if it, I don't even know how that's going to look. But I, I will yeah. I'll shower him with the, the whole American badass. Like, Michael, there's another guy out there who's an American badass on a bike in New York City. Not a motorcycle, <laughs> but a bike. And he's pretty badass. And he does great work, just so you know. So, just saying, so let's wish us luck, folks. Okay, I want to talk about, I want to switch gears and talk about you being a normal person, because I say this all the time in my show, I think that people have a personification about actors, directors, people on TV, that they don't have a real life. And obviously, you do have a real life. So, there's a few components that I wanted to talk about. First of all, I know that apparently you seem to enjoy two big things, running and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which is kind of cool because I like one of the two. I'm not a peanut butter and jelly fan, but talk to me about the running because I'm fat now and I quit the gym because I got mad at them. So I'm like, I need a new program to, to like get myself together. So why the, um, why the big fascination or should I say, why is running important to you? And tell us a bit about when do you have time? Like when you're sleeping? Because from according to your schedule, I don't see where you got any time to do anything. (laughs) Well, I'm not uh, kidding. (laughs) I had, I had, I had gotten into, you did some deep creeping. Uh, I did some running a bit for, for a few years ago. And then I, I, I was going so much. I, 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 uh, I gave myself a, a hip 
injury. Uh, it was actually a lower back injury, but 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 I was I was tilting my hips so then I was giving myself an impingement. So I had to start doing um, physical therapy for that. But then I started biking, sure. so I, I bike a lot more now, uh, which is uh, which is really okay. kind of fun and great. And well, I, I mean, it's all sort of the same thing where I'm somebody that I do need to exercise to not feel crazy, um, and it really helps me out a lot. I, a day where I don't exercise is a day where I'm grumpy with myself and not, uh, you know, just not at peace with myself. So, sure. so there's that. Um, and I, but I, but I find that, that, uh, it, it does what, because I switched over and started using the city bike. Cause then that way I don't have to worry about somebody stealing my bike one. Gotcha. Um, but two, the MTA, the <laughs> public transit here, the subway system, has just mm-hmm. deteriorated so much, and it's gotten more and more expensive. So they, you know, they raised the fares, and I was like, "That's it, I can't do it anymore." So I've gotten to the point where I buy a what is essentially half of what I would need if I were commuting every day to and from what I was doing for the subway, so that I'm forcing myself to budget the amount of time I spend on the trains, forcing myself to get on the bike and go and that sort of thing. So that, that kind of gets me out and going. Um, but as I was running, I mean, what I loved about running in the city was that you just, you go to so many different areas of the city and it's, it's like going into different countries almost, but I also live two blocks from central park. So I can also just get in there Ah, and do whatever too. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So, so that's that's Got always a, a lot of great fun, um, and I love I love spending time in the park. It's just just a really wonderful place, and it is it is very, you know, there, it's funny because people have this idea of New York City being very uh, urban and buildings and cement right. and all that stuff, but there's a lot of green space in New York City. You start going oh around God, yeah. and. It, it, and if you start paying attention to all the different pride, there are hundreds of, I mean, they they can be little tiny parks, but there are hundreds of parks in the city. And, you know, they've planted another million trees in the city. So, that, you know, there's a lot here that, that is actually green. And, and, you know, there's on the other side of the West Side Highway, you're right there on the Hudson River. And there's the sort of the river walk area that we have there and, and everything like that. So I love to get out and, and do that. And actually, you know, when I'm working on a part, what I like to do is um, especially if it's one of these solo things where I'm just talking by myself <laughs> a lot, uh, it's really hard for me to just kind of sit and do that. So I love to walk and okay. talk and go, and it gets it just it changes how you do things. It changes um, you know where in your body the language sits, and it really changes how you how you do things. So I, I love to do that. And plus in New York. You know, you can look like you're just talking on the phone without even having to hold a phone up your ear now because everybody thinks, you, you know, I mean, people are just talking out loud to know people that are not there all the time. You know, know. But... <laughs> it makes me laugh when I watch them, too, because I'm like, are you OK? Because I'm a Midwesterner, so I'm still getting used yeah. to New York City climate. So when I go there and I see this happening, I don't freak out as much anymore. Like when I, like I'm afraid of the subway. I say it all the time. Every time I come back to New York, I'm like, now you know I'm going to be petrified. I'm afraid because the subway people scare me. A lot of them scare me. And I'm like, okay. But I've come to learn and embrace them. I've come to learn and embrace the fact that not everybody's going to stare at me because it was a big thing for me. Like you New Yorkers, like nobody would look at me when I walked down the street and I'd get self-conscious. Like I'm smiling at them and they won't smile at me. Now I get it. Just like, um, 
I know that you're a resident of Brooklyn, and so I'm going to be a, a full-time resident in New York City in six years because my kids will be grown. So I've already kind of passed out where I want to live. Now, in a perfect world, I'm sure you know where Bleecker Street area is. Well, that's my yeah. thing because I'm a Midwesterner. We like, like, $3 beers, and we like a nice, cute little uh, avant-garde sort of place to hang out, and I'm like, that's my favorite place. I'm coming to discover it. Central Park is one of my favorite places until I realized I'm the only one not in a relationship walking through here because every time I go there, it's the whole, oh, look at the happy people with their nice little families and wives and husbands. And I'm just the single neurotic writer in the room writing about all those lovely people in Central Park. You know what I mean? (laughs) That sort of thing. Speaking of lovely people, you know we're about to talk about your lovely wife, obviously. It's a perfect segue into that. Um, So, uh Obviously, you have a beautiful wife. How do I know this? Because I creeped on her, too. She's beautiful. Oh, good. She talks about you so lovely. <laughs> so lovely. It's so romantic and sweet. And make no mistake, I talk all the time about how I'm completely not good at love, but I, I'm very, very, very thrilled that you have such a wonderful pairing and a wonderful partnership in business, outside of business, obviously, of course. So there's two questions I want to ask about your wife, obviously. Amy, by the way, is his wife's name. And uh, yep. they have a collaboration, of course, called the Elephant Run District as well, which we'll talk about in a second. But this is what I want to talk about. Um, you have your wife, Amy, and then you have a brother by the name of Benjamin. I have to believe that it goes without saying that some of the biggest and best support systems come from the people that love you because they make you stronger in certain ways. So my question to you is, um, obviously, I'm going to assume both of them are of a creative nature. And then second of all, Tell me one thing about them that you absolutely love and that you parallel as well, a similarity between all three of you. The, between the three of us? Oh, um, yeah. gosh. Uh, <laughs> a parallel between the three of us. Um, yeah. Gosh. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think both Amy and Ben are, are very generous people. Um, and they're very supportive, uh, and they're very, you know, very giving people. Um, I think that that, that's, that's the biggest thing about both of them. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing where, where, uh, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're just both, both really great. I'm sorry. I've lost track of the question so so oh no (laughs) i was asking about amy and obviously amy is your wife obviously benjamin is your brother so one would presume that everybody that you gravitate to because people say this to me all your friends must be creative so the assumption is because i'm a writer and other things everybody i know is either in film or a writer and that's not necessarily true but i was like i was curious to see if all of you share that creative bug and then more importantly of course Amy is so beautiful. So of course we have to ask all about that. How did you meet? Okay. That you know, it's sure. Just, it's such a cute little story, and they're so pretty together, folks. Like seriously, you're so cute. Oh, just thank you. That's that very nice. <laughs> very well, true, though. Very true. Um, yeah, you know, I like to try to. I like to try to have a variety of people in my life. Um, you know, because if everybody was my age, or did what I did, or whatever. Uh, you know, it just would, it just, you know, it's, it's not like you can, I don't know. It just, I, I feel like life should be a smorgasbord in, in, in as many ways as possible. Um, sure. but, uh, so, so my wife and I met, um, we met about eight years ago now. And, um, uh, <laughs> it was, it's a very funny story and that's how we got the name of our theater company actually. Yeah. So, so she, she was, um, 
she was involved in a in a play reading group that got together on Monday nights, and she went religiously every Monday night to this this reading group where they'd read new works and that sort of thing. And I was supposed to go with a friend to see Sondheim on Sondheim at Studio Fifty Four. Um, this was his mm-hmm. big 80, 80th birthday bash, and so it was going to be a big thing with a lot of celebrities and all that stuff. Well, midway through the day, a friend of mine, a uh, mutual friend, uh, he he wrote me and said, um, hey, I am doing this play reading thing tonight. Can you come do it? And I was like, oh, I'm kind of busy and hemmed and hawed. And then I worked it out. Okay, so I go, I go to that. Well, midway through the afternoon, Amy wound up getting uh, a ticket to go see Sondheim on Sondheim. So I'm where she was supposed to be. She's where I was supposed <clears throat> to be. And... She was leaving her office that afternoon, and she heard somebody say, oh, the elephants are coming across 34th Street tonight because um, – and and that year, 2010, was the last year they did this. The only way they could get the elephants into Madison Square Garden or actually into the island of Manhattan um, for the Ringling Brothers Circus was to go through the Queens Midtown Tunnel to get them out mm-hmm. And walk them across so they would come through the Midtown Tunnel and go across 34th Street. Um, there's a movie called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind where there's actually a moment where you yep. see them. They, they film that. So this was this is literally what they did. They, they would get them across and, and go over there. So um, so she said to some people that were involved in the play reading thing, I can't be there. I'll be there later. I'll meet you guys um, at this bar called Foley's, which is a sort of baseball themed bar that's that's not too far from where we were um and 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 so we met and um uh <laughs> i think we both kind of knew uh she she came in she said she felt like a key had turned in her stomach and she had that feeling of <gasps> he's here she didn't even look at me and uh she was down at the end of the table and she got up with a friend of hers her friend was going out to smoke and and i just let loose with to to everybody she shouldn't be smoking she's got a beautiful voice because i could hear her at the end of the table <laughs> and her friend just got up and went outside and told her what i had said and so we went out and uh the elephants were running across and it was really late it was after midnight it was it was um it was late march so the weather was uh, like 50 degrees and slightly raining and the elephants came across it's sort of a light stampede it isn't just like what you think like oh that's that's nice they were they were trucking and there were sirens and people were protesting and yelling and you had like clowns on big um bicycles and other different kinds of animals coming across with them so it was this very kind of uh, wonderful, sort of chaotic, kind of messy event, and and that's the kind of work we try to create together. So we need. So when we were messaging each other afterwards, she said she had spent time in Philadelphia, and I said, Oh, I'm I'm familiar mm-hmm. with the Cheesesteak District because there's that area where there's <laughs> Pat's and Geno's, and she's Oh, I I never heard of that. And I said, Well, you know, we met in the Elephant Run District, and so um, when it came time to we were working on a project, you know, does, does your company have a name? I said, well, we'll go with Elephant Run District and that that's what it is. But, but it's great to work with her because we've, we've gotten to know, you know, we know each other really well. Um, we, we, you know, it's, it's, it can be, it can be tricky working with your, your, your life partner at the same time. Um, we, we, uh, you know, but, but but overall it's 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 really great because we you know we we had to learn to to figure out that that 
you know, we could continue rehearsing until four in the morning after we got home from rehearsal, and we have to like stop. We have to, you know, we have to, you know, if we're going to have a production meeting, we need to leave our apartment and go someplace and have coffee and 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 sit down and have a production meeting as opposed to just, you know. Because because you can be sitting there and all of a sudden a, a you know a thought occurs to me at 11:30 p.m. and then suddenly we're in a production meeting or vice versa and the other person's like you know I need to be off duty I can't I can't handle that right now so it's you know it's it's kind of important to to know when when you are just being uh, a couple versus when you're being business partners or artistic partners because we kind of are all three at different times. Gotcha. No, I understand. And of course, so the folks listening in have an understanding of this. The primary purpose, or should I say, the primary initiative or goal that you have relative to Elephant Run District, have you have you, have you given us the overall thought and thought, okay, over the future, this is what we want to envelop this into, or is it more of a work in progress still? Um. Yeah. It's it's we we keep we uh, we we want to do projects that are interesting to us. We want to do projects that that um i we think um uh, challenge and entertain the audience whatever that might be sure. at the same time we don't want to like just uh here's a message eat it and that, but at the same time we also don't don't want to do things that are really super fluffy um so right. so there's that and we also you know we we i th- i think that there are one of the things early on is I, I said I, I one I don't want to be stuck in a in a have to do this so this is our you know Shakespeare slot and this is our musical slot and this is our dramatic slot and this is our comedy slot and we do that four times a year or whatever it might be so we're just putting gotcha. up numbers. Um, Got it. You know, so so we're you know it's it's largely out of a collaboration that we're working on, uh, Amy and me and the other people that we invite to be part of it and, and kind of going from there. Um, so, so, and it kind of, it does go into different places, but you know, I, I think it takes 10 years for a company to really figure out what its identity is. A lot of times, um, I think a lot of times I, th- I think I think because we, because in our society it's very important to label something right away where we do this kind of thing, I we know. Do, it, do it this way, and and we're this, and you know A B C D, and there you go, and and then it becomes sort of paint by numbers after that to me, and I don't want to do that. I don't find that sure. engaging to me, and therefore I'm not. It's not going to be engaging to anybody else. But at the same time, then it's really hard to kind of grow your grow your following or have your have your audience just kind of right there so so you know there's the blessing and the curse of it but i you know i think it's i think it i think it's i think it works both ways because it's easier for you if if you're if you're working in a branded sort of way um but but it's also easier for the audience to know what you are you know if 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 there is that sort of thing um you know when when a when a musician suddenly comes out that's you know when Madonna comes out with her all country album, people are like, "What the heck is this?" You know that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's kind of I what do. we do, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Gotcha. Well, the, the interesting thing too was is when I delved into looking at the Elephant Run thing, I saw the podcast play series, and I'm like, "Oh my god, how cool is that?" Because obviously we all know that I do a podcast, so I'm like, "Oh my god, that's that's a phenomenal." phenomenal thing to throw out there and I'm like that this elephant run thing is very very exciting to me obviously 
That's number three, by the way. So first of all, he's got the writing component. And then, of course, he's got the uh, secondary American badass. Now we've got Elephant Run. Now listen to this. Get this. Okay, so you're an Indie Theater Hall of Fame inductee. Number two, he's the recipient of the Leading Lights of Independent Theater Award. He's the director of the Bright Future of the League of Independent Theater. And, and, and get this, it gets even better than this. Okay, so to take it one step further, I wanted to ask about, um, I've always been fascinated with the idea of doing a web series, and you did something called um, Speech Makers. I want you to talk about that a little bit, because I think that people... We live in a tech-savvy world nowadays, and obviously there's so many new mediums and places that people can go to put their creative arts. And the web series is something that I think, in, in theory, sounds very simplistic, but is it really, though? I mean, is the structure and the science behind that um, easy enough to where if somebody's listening today and they're like, you know what, if I don't feel comfortable with doing a play or doing a film, et cetera, maybe a web series is a way to go. You know what I mean? Giving them a different outlet. Yeah. Well, it's still, that's actually still in development, so <laughs> it hasn't actually birthed itself yet. But, um, yeah, I, I, to, me, to me, to me, yeah, um, I was, I was, uh, I was, after I had done the Edinburgh Festival in 2013 uh, with my show about gun violence called American Gun Show, um, I, what, what I found really interesting there, and I highly recommend it for everybody um, at some point in your life, you know, if you can go there, go. Um, when when the festival is going on, there's over thirty thousand productions happening at the same time, with hundreds of thousands of performances within just three weeks and change. Um, there's just a lot going on. There's something for just about everybody at any minute. Um, you know, there's three hundred venues plus with things going on wow. all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and okay. only three of them are. are proper theaters. It's like bars and churches and all sorts of things. But um, sure. it's been going on since 1948. But so I'm there and I'm seeing it. And I'm, and I'm seeing a lot of like stand up and storytelling type things happening. It's really huge there. Um, and bigger than, than the theater component that's happening at the same time. Um, so, so I got fascinated with that, and you know, I had always secretly kind of harbored a you know, desire to be a, a stand-up, but also I, I found myself, because I was doing more and more advocacy work, having to get up and talk in front of people and having that sort of dreaded, like, oh, it's like giving a presentation in class for my book report or my science report or whatever, <laughs> and just not, not really enjoying it. So I, I got involved in a, in a thing called Toastmasters, which is a really big thing around the world, um, which is uh, – right. uh, and, and uh, you know, I found it really – Interesting because I was like, well, I am a performer. And I started doing it. They're like, you don't need this. You're a perf- Look at that. You did this naturally. Look at that, you know. But then as I got further and further into it, like learning how to structure a speech and do something that's interesting and do something that's um, where you're really being there and being present and being yourself and really bringing this information to life to people was rather a good challenge for me. But I found that the other part of it that I found interesting was that those groups, they bring such a diverse group of people together. And there's so many people that are so interested in that, um, that I wanted to create a series that was that was about that, about who, who we are when we are trying to figure out the how to communicate better with other people. Um, so, so, I, so I 
started started writing this web series about that and and uh the main character is a guy who um was too nervous to get up in front of his wife's uh his wife died uh rather suddenly and he was too nervous to be able to get up and and speak at the memorial mm-hmm. so he winds up going to to this this speechmakers club um and and learns how to to do that learns how to get up in front of people um uh, because i think it really is for a lot of people um you know what you're able to do after you get past the ability to get up in front of people is is mm-hmm. <laughs> just a small fraction it's it's that getting up in front of everybody that that's the really difficult thing oh my god right it's it's insane i mean when i i did the film my first film festival last year and now here i am uh, doing it for the second year, I still get petrified. I get petrified when I come on air, and you're not even in front of me. I'm like, I, I, people don't realize, <laughs> yes, I'm actually afraid. You know, like the person yeah. that I'm interviewing, why do you think I put you on here? Because I put you in a class that's accelerated of mine. So obviously, you know, there's a, there's an impression and, and an expectation, rather. So it makes a person very nervous. You know, then you have to do, last year I did, you know, 15 Q&As during the festival, and I'm like, oh, my God, the pressure's always on. The camera's right there. So I totally get what you're talking about. Um as far as that goes, I was intrigued to ask the question. When you have you, as in Chris, if, if Chris is performing in a play or Chris is then performing in a film or Chris is doing a solo show, etc., of all the various places that you appear in, I wanted to ask this, which one is the closest version of you, meaning that do you prefer yourself in film versus in, um, let's say, uh, something like a solo show or in um, a play? What's your preferred preference in terms of stage presence? Gosh, <laughs> huh. um, you know, I, I, I like I like I like being able to show myself that I can do something I didn't think I could do. Um, so to that end, it doesn't necessarily matter which which medium or which venue it's in or, or the, the style of the project or anything like that is that by the end of the project, I want to be to know that I've done something I didn't think I could do. Um, you know, and that could be uh, like back in the fall, I did a play with a group called the other side of silence, which is, I believe the longest running um, LGBTQ uh, company in New York city. And um, mm-hmm. so I did this play called street theater, which was written um, by, by, by a man who's no longer with us uh, named Dork Wilson, who was one of the original pioneers of off off Broadway back in the days of, of Joe Chino and all of that. And uh, sure. he was there when the Stonewall riot happened back in the sixties. And so he wrote this play in the early eighties uh, about it. And, and it's got a couple of drag Queens that are in it. And it's, it's, it's a really great play. It's funny and it really gets you because it's it's like wow, these these folks really had to stand up for themselves and you kind of take that for granted now. You kind of take for granted sure. that 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 that, you know, you know how far we've come in, in that area. Plus we performed it in a historic leather bar. Um way in, in in the western edge of Chelsea. So and we had audience wow. on two sides. And so and they were really close up on us. And and so, you know, there's no place to hide with that play and I played a I played an right. undercover cop who was looking to pick up uh men and and it it becomes very clear that while this character is married, you know, he's beyond just fascinated. He's you know, he wishes he could 
express himself and, and be open, but he can't in the sure. 60s. And so he becomes very gotcha. violent at the end of it. And um, right. uh, it's... It's, you know, so I was the bad guy and I was, you know, doing all these things. And, you know, if I stop and think like, well, what will people think about me through any of this? I couldn't possibly do it. Um, you know, it's the, just that sort of thing where it's, you know, and then, and it really doesn't matter. Um, so, mm -hmm. so what I, what I, I kind of just threw myself into that and tried to let myself be as vulnerable to letting this guy out and letting, you know, letting that that person be in the space with everybody that was there and uh, not trying to, as, as the actor judge what this character was doing right and wrong through the whole thing. Um, so that's, that's mm -hmm. just sort of a different kind of challenge. So I loved that very much. Um, you know, I guess, I just, I guess I just like anything that, that I know is impacting people when they see it, whether it's making them laugh really hard because they need that release about this particular subject or that they're, it's, it's, it's just getting them in a place where they know, okay, I'm human. They're human. We're, we're identifying that right now and, and we're all right there. So whatever that might be. Um, so, so hmm. in whatever way that can happen. Gotcha. Plus, I also don't like repeating also... myself. So really? I try to do something different all the time. Yeah. So, like, if I've already done that, I don't want to do it again. You know, if I've already if I've already done this thing and achieved success with it, I don't want to try and like have to recreate that. Well, that makes sense, though. I totally understand what you're saying. I do. If I were to ask you which of all the roles you've ever played, which one is the closest to the real Chris? What would who would that be? Um, it's funny because I've done several pieces where I've played myself. Um, ah, I've, okay. had, I've had to, like, it's almost like you then, for me, I have to think of that as a character. Um, and it can be more, this is like a, this is narrator Chris this versus 14 year old Chris versus, you know, sure. that sort of thing. So, so, you know, and especially if I'm doing a piece about a different time in my life, you know, we, 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 we get perspective and we change a little bit. And if I, you know, so, so literally when I was playing 15 year old Chris, it was a character. Um, <laughs> so I would call myself when I was present day, Chris, I would call myself me and I would call 15 year old Chris, Chris, um, in, in this piece. So, <laughs> I gotcha. I so, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it, it can be it, it can be kind of thing where it where it really does kind of mess you up a little bit if you think about it too much. I mean, sure. there's a little bit of me in everything that I do, of course. Of course. Um, even if it's not, even if it's totally not, but uh, I think I think that there's there's uh, you know, and things I don't like to admit about myself through the the parts that sure. I play. You know, that that's there. Oh, of so. Yeah, without a doubt, absolutely. Now, before we get to your upcoming projects, I want to ask these two various different questions, and I do this more so for the people that are listening and that that have aspirations of being an actor, producer, writer, etc. On the producing side of things, in 2017, you had acted as a producer on your project um, for the parking shot. I want to ask a question about production, and more so yeah. not so much for me, but again, the listeners that are in. I don't think people who are not in industry really understand the full capacity of what a producer does because most people think of the word producer and then you're thinking the money component of it, which obviously is that part of it. But if someone's listening in today and they say, I want to produce my own work, whether it's written, whether it's in the form of a play or other things, what's the one bit of advice that you would say to them um, to keep them grounded in terms of that capacity? What 
what is one big thing that's paid off well for you in the production realm that you adhere to or some bit of advice that you, you can give to them? Um, I think for new producers, there's, there's a few different things. I, I mean, um, if you, I mean, the simplest definition of a producer is they're the person that make a project happen. They're the person, you know, that's, that's their job. Make this project happen. Now that breaks down to, okay, I'm, I'm more of the, the marketing end of things, or I'm more of the fundraising end of things, or I'm more of the actual technical pulling all these elements together type of thing. Um, and, 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 you know, if you don't have a lot of money in your budget, the place where you're going to save a lot of money in your budget is producing it, you know, doing all of that work. And, you know, you will scream to the sky and ask why, why, why no one is there to help you, why no one is there to take care of this or that, or who's going to do any of this. Oh, yeah. And, it, at the, you know, at a certain point, you know, but then I, I feel like there's there's – you get used to that after a certain while and you really begin to make decisions and know how to do shortcuts to, you know, do this or that, or I need to, you know, reach out to this many people with my press release and, and these are the specific addresses and this person likes to have this thing at, you know, 2.15 on a Tuesday versus 11.15. And, you know, if I do that, then I'll get, you know, listed in X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you start learning all of these little things, just like you do with anything that you do. And it becomes sure. a little bit easier. Um, and, but you also, you have a different appreciation than you have, I think, when you're just the performer in something and you're sitting there and you're wondering why, your belt hasn't arrived yet that you need to wear in a scene, <laughs> you know, when you're a producer and you're, you know, you're, you're just juggling so many different things, you know, you, you, you try to make things happen when you can. And I think that it's, sure. it's all, there's almost, it's almost like writing. It's like, well, okay, here's the deadline. Got to make it happen. So tonight I'm going to stay up all night and do all these things <laughs> and then sleep in sure. over the weekend because I can right. versus, oh, you know, right. uh, so, 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 so all of that, comes into play too um so i think i think the big thing is if you're involved creatively on a project i think one thing that you can do is if you're producing it as well as you can hide behind the producing end of it a little bit oh, yeah. or you can get so caught sure. up in the producing end of it you don't allow yourself enough time to uh, do the work that you need to do as an artist to make the work really good uh, because you're so busy with the other stuff. So, you know, so if it doesn't work out so great, you can let yourself off because you were too busy doing these other things, you know, that right. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a way to kind of really sneakily cop your cop out, I think. So you just have to be really <laughs> firm with yourself and really be tight right. about your schedule and know when you're wearing the performer hat versus the writer hat versus the producer hat versus the director hat versus yeah. the marketing hat versus the, you know, and if you're wearing all of those hats, you know, it's the kind of thing where it takes a little while to learn how to do that, that to learn how to get all of this stuff done before you go into rehearsal. So you get into rehearsal and all that stuff is already in place. And so, you know, systems are in place to go ahead and get the marketing out, you know, on a, on a specific schedule and that sort of thing. So it's not interfering. Um, I find a lot of times if I'm writing something, especially if it's a solo show, I can I can 
sometimes shortcut myself because I, I know myself as an actor and I know how quickly I can learn something. So I can wind up writing something well into, I start bleeding into the rehearsal period with the writing and, and, and the cast, which is me gets mad at the writer, which is me because the cast hasn't had enough right. time to learn lines and that sort of thing before it has to get up in front of the audience. So, you know, there's, there's that sort of thing. So I've learned, I've learned to, okay, this is the deadline. This is the the deadline to write and I'm not going to write anymore unless I'm in rehearsal and I realize this isn't working or I need to change this line or this word or something, but it's, it's gotta be small. It can't be, okay, I'm ripping out five pages and putting in five more pages, that sort of thing. Um, because that's just, it's, and, you know, I'm going to make myself crazy and the audience isn't going to enjoy it, you know? So there's, so there's that aspect too. Um, gotcha. but I, I think, I think producing, you know, it's, 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 it's when you're, when you're doing it, it's extremely edifying and it's, and it's really, um, it's something that not everybody can do. Um, you know, you can get, uh, <laughs> I remember an interview with, uh, Craig Ferguson, and I, and I believe it was with Harvey Weinstein when he was doing this like interviewing show at one oh, point boy. years ago before all okay. the information came out about him. So, but one thing that Harvey Weinstein said to Craig Ferguson is, you know, what you do is really unique. When he was doing his, he was hosting that show. He said because mm-hmm. you can get fifteen, twenty, you can get hundreds of actors that can be right for a sitcom. You can get all those people, you know, you can get thousands of people that can write the sitcom, right? But you can't, I mean, the people that can do like what Stephen Colbert does or Craig Ferguson does, there's a very limited amount of people that can do that, you know? So I think that being a person that can recognize that and support those people is a really huge thing too, Um, you know? And I, for me, it's 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 about trying to hopefully get other voices that are different than mine involved in things. Very cool. Very, very cool. Now, you had mentioned to me that you have the upcoming, and this is, of course, um, to protect, serve, and understand. Now, as I understand yep. it, this is um, coming up in June, if I'm not mistaken. So tell yes. the folks a little bit about that and what's what's happening with that. Sure. Um, so this is this is the fifth version of this project that's happened, and um, the folks at Irondale Center, Terry Grease, and and the other folks there, um, after Eric Gardner was killed, he was the, he was the fellow that was selling loose cigarettes, and he was choked uh, to death. Um, he wanted to do something, uh, and so he wrote to the NYPD and said that he runs a theater and he'd love to do a project. And he didn't think he would hear anything back, but he did. And so they, what they would, what they do is they get a group of civilians and a group of actual police officers together. And so what we are doing is we've been getting together for nine weeks. We're three weeks into this so far. And and what we're doing is we're meeting on Tuesday nights. We have a meal, and we start doing improvisations, and we have discussions, and we're working our way up to building a performance based on all of this. So at this point, sure. it's a little vague. Um, I'm going to be interviewing a police officer at some point who's not in, not directly involved with the Tuesday night gatherings that we have, and then I'm going to come in as part of this and perform a piece as that officer. So that's, that's going to be wow. part of it. Yeah. But it's actual police officers and it's been really interesting. We've been doing a lot of Viola Spolin type improvisation work and okay. um, just 
getting to know one another. And it's really interesting. What we did in the last session, they had the officers bring in their, their hats, their patrol hats. And the uh, four officers that were there, we have five officers all together. Um, one had a bit of a health scare early on, so he's going to be coming back later, uh, hopefully, it looks like. But so okay. there are four officers that got up in the space, and they, they were looking at their hats. And you could just tell there's a story with the hat. And then they, mm-hmm. they had them put it on. And, and I tell you, you know, two mm-hmm. two of them are women. Um, uh one one guy's got sleeves of tattoos down his arms, and, and the other guy's like this like ah. baby faced guy. I thought was still in college, you know. And they they but they put their hats on. He had them put all their hats on, and you could just see that they they just change. Um, you know what what the job means really changes who they are, and and what they have to do, and what it means to to wear that hat, and um, then then they they each gave a hat to one of the people, the civilians, and I'm one of the civilians, so I got one of the hats. And we were also gotcha. supposed to look at the hat and, and that sort of thing. And I'm looking at it, and it, you know, it occurs to me that I'm not, you know, I don't have the history with the hat. I have no idea. I'm looking at it like it's a costume piece, like it's something you might go to a store and look at. And this, there's this thing on in the front that's like a badge, and it looks like it's got... Um, somebody that's almost like a knight or you know, somebody from like the 18th century on it and, and something else and, and their little numbers and that sort of thing. And, and I put it on and I can feel that, that it's like, it's like when you're a kid and you put on, you put your feet in your dad's shoes or something like that. It's not the same sure. thing. It's a totally different experience. And so What's really great about this piece, it's because it's called Protect, Serve, and Understand. And I feel like, to me, you know, personally and, and somewhat selfishly, I've been looking for something to, to, to work on and, and do in this era where we've got a lot of division happening uh, in the country. And the idea of doing something where we're to really genuinely try to understand what it's like to be what it's like to be a police officer. And as one woman, one woman police officer said that, you know, she has two children and, you know, she goes out and she has this little tiny plate that's in the front part of her, of her, of her, of her, um, policeman's, uh, uniform, you know, like that's not going to do anything if somebody comes at her with a knife to the side or, you know, and, and, and so you begin to, to, to see where, where they're coming from. And the responsibility they have when they're out isn't just, am I going to look good? Am I going to get promoted? Am I going to, you know, but, sure. but am I going to come home that night to my eight-year-old and my six-year-old? Am I, you know, so, so, you know, I, I was, I was really fortunate. A friend of mine, Linda Crawford pointed it out and I had done another project in the East Village called um, East Village Chronicles at Metropolitan Playhouse where we went out and we interviewed different people and we would do a 20 minute monologue as that person on stage. And, uh, you know, I, I had another, it was a really great guy. He, he's a, he's a doctor who has his own little office down there and he works without a staff. He takes people with him without insurance and he's got two sleeves of tattoos and he's an American badass. He rides a motorcycle. <laughs> he does all sorts of things, but he's also a doctor. 
and and you know, ah. so I got to do that project. So so it's it, so I'm able to kind of pull these skills into into this project. But it's really sure. an interesting thing to really genuinely. It's one thing to kind of make up a character, but it's another right. thing to try and get as close as you can to an actual living human being who's oh, right right going to come and see this. <laughs> you know, you, no, so, I get so you it. want to kind I of do. really honor it. Yeah. Of course, without a doubt, absolutely. My gosh. See, now do you see all the reasons why I call you the artistic god? I mean, look at this entire <laughs> repertoire that I've gone through. I mean, it's like absolutely wild. We've now come down to the most important question before I go through the business stuff, meaning how people can find you, et cetera. This okay. is like the most important question, so don't screw it up. That's what I tell people okay. all the time. I'm like, it all comes down to this one question. So I'm synonymous for asking this question a lot. This question used to be, well, you know, I'm sure you're going to give me Michael Madsen's cell phone number, but I don't need to ask that question anymore. So we have a new question. So, Chris, okay. I know that you're going to make my day. I know you're going to say, I'm going to help you out with this. Okay. So, you know, uh, uh, I've now fulfilled my dream by interviewing Chris Harkham. So I'm like, okay. I'm sure that the other Christopher is listening to us right now, and I'm sure he's just like, man, she's a great interviewer, mad interviewer. Got to get on that show. Right, Chris? I, I hope. Um, he should. But I know, right? We're both saying it now. Chris, you need to come on my show. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I just know you're going to say, Cindy, there's two people in this world that I know that Cindy wants to interview, and I have their cell phone numbers. One of them is Cher, and one of them is Chris Hemsworth, a.k.a. Thor. Oh, my God. Now you're going to say, you're still going to say, he's still not saying it, folks. I, think he's I, have, probably I have Cher say... Hemsworth's cell phone number. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You're just lying. Why does no one have their yeah. number? I'm like, I'm a nice person. Why can't you just hook me up, people? I, I have a feeling at a certain at a certain point, people don't have cell phone numbers anymore. Maybe they do. I don't know. Well, I don't. I don't you know, know. It's kind of I, like. They're iconic, and, and they're so hard to get to. And I'm like, you know, they just – my kids made me just go see the Avengers. I mean, I mean it was really hard sitting there and, and looking at Thor, said no woman ever. But I was like, oh, my God, i got to get this guy on my show. He just looks like this – he looks like a lovable actor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. You know, he's not over himself. He doesn't seem like he thinks he's all hot and gorgeous and all this stuff. And, like, with Cher, she's sort of the – the badass thing, like, I just don't care what you think about me because I'm a really great singer and I've acted and I've done everything. You know what I mean? So it's like the best of both worlds. But, yeah. well, great, Chris. Thanks for disappointing me and wrecking my whole weekend. Well, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a phrase, okay. you know, that 275 gets you on the subway. And I feel like at the end of the day, after all of the things <laughs> I've done, that's that's really what it is, is that, you know, like, uh, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a guy who, you know, yeah. if I don't make a project happen, it's not going to happen for myself. You know, I'm not, I'm not, gotcha. uh, no, I agree. You know, <laughs> Those self-starters. No, I am, I am a hundred percent on board for self-starters. That's why I like having them on my show. Cause I'm the same way. That's how the festival came about. I didn't like the fact that certain things weren't happening in the circuit. So I'm like, screw it. I'll just make it festival. I didn't like the fact mm. that people weren't getting media attention. So I created a radio show. So my feeling yeah. is, Folks, if you're listening in, take away from this interview at least this much. If you don't already get how much of a god he is, get the fact that under no circumstances are you limited by anything or anyone. Do what you want to do. Just find a way to do it and find people that will help you do it. Because sometimes there's people in your corner you don't know about without a doubt. So now, because we're almost to two hours, can you believe it? Wow. I can't. 
that right? <laughs> it's like crazy. Um, first of all, before I read off all the various ways to find you, because there's always two things I do at the end of my show. First of all, I tell everybody how to find you, of course. And then I have surprises. And then, of course, I always tell everybody what I think of them. That's the coolest part of my show, I think, not just the research end of it, but uh, <clears throat> it's not scripted. There's no written interview for that part. So that means it comes directly from my heart to the person on the other end of the line. So there we go. So I want to remind you and everybody else listening in, about two hours after the fact, um, this show becomes archived. So it's on Blog Talk Radio. There's a link. I upload it to YouTube, so I'll send you the link for that, for YouTube, as well as for Blog Talk Radio, so that you have both of those as far as that goes. Um, I'm going to read off about 800 places to find him. Just another reason to be jealous because he has more social media and websites than me. So here we go. The lovely gentleman we've talked to today, his name is Chris Harkum, and it's spelled H-A-R-C-U-M. Website, obviously his name, chrisharkum.com. He can be found on all these various places. He is on Facebook, LinkedIn, IMDb, YouTube, Google+, Vimeo, his Instagram, obviously his name, Chris Harkum, and of course his Twitter handle is at Chris Harkum. The websites, in addition to his personal website, um, elephantrundistrict.org, which is of course his project with his wife, the collaboration that we were referring to, and of course his lovely wife is Amy, T- I can't say it, please pronounce Todorov. it. Todorov. Okay, and it's spelled A-I-M-E-E, and that's T-O-D-O-R-O-F-F dot O-R-G. Is there any other place where folks can find you? Um, I would just put in a plug for the League of Independent Theater, which is uh, L-I-P-N-Y dot org. Um, so it's the advocacy group that I work with, and uh, we're doing all sorts of things. My my wife um, spearheaded and wrote a anti harass anti sexual harassment toolkit um, that okay. that's there right now, and I think that that's a really great thing with everything that everybody's talking about. Um, I know SAG-AFTRA is coming out with stuff, and other people are working on it, but this is a really great right. resource for anybody in the arts to uh, look at. Uh, you know, you know, when I was coming up, I, I had uh, dance classes, and I would get slapped by the the teacher and insulted in front of everybody and that sort of thing. And you know, to think that that any of that could happen today is crazy to me. Maybe it does. I don't know. But you know, like sure. everybody, everybody, when you're when you're working on things, you should be safe. I mean, the 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 danger should be in the art not in the actual process of actually doing it. You know, you should be safe when you're doing stunts. You should be safe when you're, you know, in a scene with somebody that's intimate. You should be safe when you're in your dressing room and that sort of thing. So so they've done that and... And uh, we're also, uh, what's great is that the League is also working with the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment to put out um, an advertising campaign in the fall for uh, theater that goes beyond Broadway for off-off-Broadway and independent theater. Um, we're going to be on taxi nice. TVs and all kinds of things like that. So um, this is going to be a really great uh, thing for us because we're all spread out all over the city. Um, and we just want people to, to know about what we're doing. Um, so it's it's sort of, you know, the hometown the hometown team coming, coming to life. You bet. Okay, now I get to tell you what I think of you, and then we'll finish with a surprise. We'll do it in inverse order. Oh, gosh. And, again, the reason I say this is, as I said, it's not scripted, so that means you don't even know what's going to come out of my mouth. Some people are, like, speechless. I've had people cry. I'm like, I don't even know why. And it's probably just because I'm so just god-awful, genuine, and real, and I really don't sugarcoat anything. Now, obviously, being a good journalist, I did creep out 
and reach around you, meaning to the people that care about you, obviously. And unfortunately, I didn't get to hear back from your wife or from your brother, sadly. So oh, no. unfortunately, they'll probably say, hey, there's this crazy journalist that was trying to approach me, and that was me. So let me just tell you this much. I was able to speak to two of your actor friends, obviously, that know you. One of the things that stood out the most about you that I now know by interviewing you, which is it's 100% spot on. Not only are you intelligent, not only are you empathetic, not only are you real as rain, which is the actual term, but what I found to be so uniquely interesting was the fact that every actor that I talked to about you wanted to resonate you in some way and wanted to be around you. So on the caveat of that, let me just follow up with that and say these are my impressions of you. The number one reason I wanted you to come on my show wasn't because Chris told me that you were this terrific guy. Did it help? Sure it did. But let me tell you what I've discovered about you in all of this time. The reason that I gave you the godlike title is because you embody four things that to me are the personification of a person that I want to be someday when I grow up, which will probably be never because I'm not, but whatever. Here's the fabulous four, as I call it. Number one, I am so in awe of the fact that you shed all of your insecurities on a regular basis, whether it is on paper, whether it's in front of people, whether it's in front of your friends or otherwise. You embody embrace emotion and expression more so than most people that I see on a regular basis. That's number one. Number two, you stay true to your purpose, to the people in your life and the things that you love. That's extremely admirable. Number three, you have a level of integrity as it relates to your profession and your passion and building your craft and those around you to the same standards and level that you're at. That's number three. Number four, most importantly, you scare the hell out of me. Why? Because you are so so amazingly awesome in every aspect of the word. You are successful by the highest standard, not because you're rich, not because you are on the Hollywood radar, but because you have the respect of your peers, you have the respect of the media, and you have the respect of the community by which you live in. It's very clear to me that you're very much in love with your wife, which is very admirable. You are just a hardworking actor that is at the top of the helm of a very successful entity. If I can ever help you be part of an even bigger production, know that you can reach out to me anytime. Know that I am humbled and honored that you have graced my stage today, my radio stage as I call it. Um, I I just absolutely am in awe. I I, I don't even know how else to describe it besides that. (laughs) That's what I think of you. (laughs) I am am, um, just grateful that you you shared that with me it's it's i think it's probably it's, it's very hard for people to to take things in like that and um yeah. or you know i think a lot of people uh, tend to joke things off or to um of course you know make make themselves smaller in you know and in, in light of that but what i'm going of to course. do to to um i think honor what the gift you're, that you're you're giving me is to is to try and embrace it fully and and just say that i'm so glad we've we've met one another even if it's just vocally right? um and and uh, you know no, it's, that's it's a really wonderful thing in. in this time <laughs> Here's the surprise. Okay, so I have two surprises. You're here. moving in. Um, no, yeah, right. We, we, Number one, we have a pull-out um, couch. I I wish. I am um, coming back to New York City, my second home, because I miss it so much. I, I say it all the time on my on my social media. I miss so many people. So many people I love are there now. It's so hard. I'm always here in Milwaukee half the time, and my heart's over there half the time. So my heart's coming back home in physical form. I will be back to um, May 23rd. I'm coming back. 
Um, I would like uh, to formally request now, and I'm sure he can hear it because he's listening, that the two of you, I'd like both of you in a room together so we can talk about collaborating on this movie thing so that I can have you both in the same place at the same time, which would be lovely for me. That's number one. Number two, I I selfishly and gratuitously want to beg and plead with you to consider my play because I do have a play that I want to get done before I die that I've written called Player's Purgatory. It's about all my exes. And it's really cool because I don't really kill them off, but they do go to heaven and they have to, it's literal purgatory. It's very cute. I think it's very cute, but we'll see what you mean. And third of all, of course, and I think I've given the same offer to others, but more so you because of the fact that you're so well-rounded. I would love to try to find a way to collaborate to have you be a part of my film festival this year in August. So we have much to talk about. So it won't just be an actual radio sort of thing. It will be an in-person sort of thing. So black your calendar somewhere between May 23rd and May 26th. I'll be in town um, for sure because I'm I'm going to the the amazing John Gallagher. The director, John Gallagher, is a good friend of mine, and I'm going to his acting class. He's asked me to come. So when when the master tells you to come, you come. So that's a big deal for me. So I'm very excited. Um, I am very, very excited. And I don't want to forget to mention this before I let you go, because I told you about the links, of course. But, of course, to anybody listening in and including yourself, um, I'm asking for very big prayers. Someone who is probably, well, I call him my family. I, I don't have a very, I'm not very close to my own family, and so I have a friend family. And this is probably the closest thing I'll ever have to a real family. And um, so John is starting chemotherapy today, so for the first time. So I'm asking all of my friends to send loved ones and prayers, and this show is for him today. And I'm and I'm uh, boy, I better wrap up soon because now I am going to cry. Um, so I, I this is for you, John. Um, this is a big deal, you know. Uh, having a loved one going through cancer therapy is is tough, you know. I just found out, and now I have a film, and I have all this stuff, and I'm going to be gone, and and here he is. So it's important to me that I that he gets a lot of love and support. So. Yeah, phenomenal show. So that's for him. I can't thank you enough for coming on my show. I'm sorry that I kept you two hours, but I couldn't help myself. There's just too much to talk about. So you reach out <laughs> to me and let me know when you want to get together. And I'll put sure. you and me and Chris in a room together and we'll get it together. Please send my best to your lovely wife. If, and I do pray that I've done you justice on this show, by the way. And if you're pleased with the end result, please let your wife know. She's more than welcome to come on my show anytime. Oh, I'm great. very big yeah. on promoting the arts and people in general, and I'd love to have her on my couch. That would be absolutely awesome. But now I have to say get the hell off my show because they're cutting me off in four minutes because I only get two hours. But you were wonderful, <laughs> and gosh. this is so fun, <laughs> and I can't wait to talk to you in person. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be great. Uh, I actually, right. at this at this point, that, that area is pretty clear. That Friday night is busy, oh, awesome. but other than that. Um, well, we'll yeah, collaborate. So we'll get it all I'm worked looking out forward to like see Yeah, you. like I said, yeah. me too, definitely, and hopefully getting a chance to meet Amy and talking to her as well. So you pass the word along. I'll wrap it up here, and I'll be in touch shortly. This has been a really wonderful experience. Thank you so much. You're a great you, interviewer. Chris. Oh, my gosh. I can't Thank believe you. how thoroughly you do everything and how much heart and care <laughs> no, you I'm put into everything. Thank you. <laughs> you Thank should. you. I try. You should. I'm glad you're, you're happy. You're, you're, you're an interviewing goddess. Oh, God, I'm so stealing that title. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, young man. Go off and enjoy your day, dude. Thank yeah, you, Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm literally like, all right, hon, I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Sounds good. Okay. Did you just hear that, folks? Interview goddess. I'm totally running with that one. Huge, huge thanks again, obviously, to both Chris Harkham as well as to Christopher Lapanta. I really do hope that you guys have enjoyed our show. He's been phenomenal. One more time, the website, chrisharkham.com, along with the, of course, elephantrundistrict.org and his lovely wife, Amy, that's A-I-M-I-E, 
T-O-D-O-R-O-F-F.org. Chris can also be found on Facebook, LinkedIn, IMDb, YouTube, Google+, Vimeo, and Instagram as Chris Harcum, and, of course, Twitter at Chris Harcum. Uh, so, again, thanks so much, and as always, to my listening audience, because as you may not have noticed, those numbers keep going up, and that's only because you keep tuning in. I can't thank you enough for your support, because without you, I don't have a show. Without guests, I don't have a show. Very, very grateful for your time, for your attention, um, and just for being my support system, of course. And big reminder one more time, Jimmy Pravos, I can't even say it anymore. Jimmy P, tomorrow, me, him, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. I hope you're able to join us. I'm off to go meet a dear friend of mine and, and drop off some comfort food to him. So you guys have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care.